the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, back in 1992, and I'll tell you later how I know it was back in 1992, I went on a trip to Biloxi, Mississippi, my dad's family was from down there, and we'd often have family reunions and stuff, and we'd had one planned. And so we went down there, me and my little brother. I guess I was in my, I'll tell my age, I was in my 20s then, probably mid-20s, early 20s, somewhere like that. I had been excited to go on this trip, but I really wasn't so excited by the time I get there. And, but, but my uncle down there, he had like a 35-foot boat. I mean, it's a yacht. You sleep on this thing, you know, and it goes out in the ocean. And so we got on this big boat, my dad, my uncle, and my brother, and I think it might have been a couple other guys. And we go way out, about 100 miles out in the ocean. And I'm not sure of the location. If I remember correctly, I think it was Chandelier Islands out there in the Gulf somewhere. And so we went on the backside of the Chandelier Islands, and so it would break the waves coming in, you know. It's clear as crystal out there. I mean, no waves or anything back behind that island, you know. And then he had a few skiffs on the boat. Those, those are just little small boats on top of the big boat. And we'd take those off and we went out there fishing. And I mean, it was crystal blue water, beautiful day. You could see the, the bottom of the ocean, just, just beautiful. I thought you was in the Bahamas somewhere or something, you know, out there in that island. And we were fly fishing for, or doing some kind of fishing for uh, those little flat fish, the flounders. And we were catching other fish, too. Oh, man, it should have been the most fun day. And we fished all day and came back and relaxed on the boat a while. And then that afternoon, my Uncle Dickie come out, and he had some shrimp that he had brought along, and we caught some of those fish, and he had cut them up, fresh fish, and he's got a grill out there on the back of the boat. And as the stars come out, I mean, 100 miles out in the ocean, there's no lights, and it was like a carpet of beautiful stars out there. Should have been a beautiful night for me, man. I mean, it was really beautiful. And uh, we ate that food, some of the best food. I, that's one thing I remember about that trip. My uncle knows how to cook some food. It was delicious. But like I said, I just was, I had to struggle today to even remember some of these details because there was something eating at me. I just, I couldn't enjoy myself. Because see, before I had left, sometime before I had left, I done got snookered with this girl, this red-headed girl that I fell in love with. <laughs> and I didn't even want to go on the trip. I mean, I didn't want to leave her for a moment. And I remember that night after eating, it should have been the best day of my life, you know. I go into my bunk area, and I'm fixing to change into my night clothes, and I open up my suitcase, and there's something in my suitcase that has been with me these 25 years since 1992, and I'll tell you what it is when we get to it, but right now, we're going to continue our new series. We've been, have you noticed that Sunday's series is called Still Standing, talking about how to be still standing in the end, and Wednesday's series is called Rooted. 
I don't know what God's doing, but I'm having a hard time not overlapping these messages. I think they're overlapping a little bit. Maybe God is trying to tell us something, and uh, I think maybe the Sunday people get a taste of it, but you're getting the next level dose on the rooted portion. All right, so the series is entitled Rooted. The first week we talked about how the Word of God must be foundational. You don't just make this stuff up as you go. You know, we got a truth that we, this is our plumb line, which we base everything by. Uh, week number two, we talked about being saved by grace. You remember talking about only blood could pay for our sins and only Jesus' blood could pay the, the debt that we couldn't pay. The third week, last week, we talked about love, how we're supposed to love others and love God and all that kind of stuff. Uh, tonight, this, the title of tonight's message is the heart of our worship. Now you kind of see why I played that song, huh? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now I I sang my best, you know, and I played my acoustic the best I could, but what if I'd have got up there and played it on the drums and sang along, out of tune? Would you have been able to worship along with me? It would have been hard, wouldn't it? 1 Corinthians 3, Apostle Paul tells us something mightily important. Just as the Bible is the rock on which we stand, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on the foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. So what's the foundation? A man named Jesus Christ. Is that his last name? No. No, he's Jesus, and he is the Christ. But he's often called Jesus Christ, right? But he's the foundation. And, and as we go along in the message, you'll begin to understand what I'm talking about. But how many of you knew that yesterday... October 31st, 2017, was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation when it began. 500. I'm not talking about 499 or 503. It's pretty significant, a 500-year anniversary. Do you know what the Protestant Reformation was? I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know that Martin Luther started it. He was a Catholic priest And he began to look into the Word of God and say, they're not teaching this right. They're off base. And he could not just let it go. He couldn't just fit in with everybody who was treating the Word of God disrespectfully and not adhering. You see, at the time, they called it the Roman Catholic Church because the Romans were... I I ain't got time to go into all this. I'm getting on a rabbit trail. But the Romans... The state of Rome was running the church. You can't have, it's like having politicians run the church. You can't do that. You know how messed up we would be. You have to let the politicians start determining the doctrine when we preach and so forth. Well, anyway, he couldn't take it anymore. He wrote down 95 things. What was wrong with the church? And he, he nailed them to the church door. And boy, he started a firestorm. He got in trouble over it. But he defended his position, and, and today, that's where many other churches, the Protestants, which was what we are you know, uh, along the line of Protestants, Methodists, all those Baptists and everything came from, 
that Reformation where they said, wait a minute, they're not teaching the Word of God right. They were doing things like saying there was this magical place named Purgatory, which doesn't exist, where, where, where you know, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or, you know, you die and then you face the judgment. It doesn't say anything about a middle place, but they were saying that you would go to this purgatory place, and if you lit enough candles and you paid enough money, they'd get you out of purgatory and pray your way out. And he just couldn't put up with that. So he came out with 95 reasons why, and that's how we got here today. And I thought it was pretty significant that yesterday, 500 years to the day, you don't get a 500-year anniversary very often. I had to mention it. But I mention it because today we still have some misrepresentations of the gospel, right? Today we have the gospel of me, mine, and give me more, more, more. We have a gospel that we're presenting in many cases. Many churches are presenting the gospel like they're an insurance salesman. And they're just quoting the benefits and the rewards of buying into this plan. And there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, when you're trying to tell somebody they need something, oh man, it's great to, uh, to be saved. You'll have such peace, such joy. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll go to heaven. You know, you won't go to hell. There's a lot of rewards with, with salvation, right? The gospel message. But if you have little or no mention of what it cost God, Little or no mention of what is required of you, you can begin to look at it like it's just a, a cheap thing and not value it, not understand it fully, and it's not a, a true representation of what the gospel is supposed to be talking about. Let me give you a warning. If the gospel that you believe, all you can think about is what's in it for you, the benefits and rewards for you, and it doesn't include a real relationship with Jesus, then you're following a false gospel. If the, if the gospel that you're following is a made-up Jesus, well, I like when Jesus said this, but I don't like how he did that. I'm going to believe in the Jesus that does that, and, and I don't believe he's like that. If you pick and choose the Word of God we already talked about, you can't do that. You're following a false Jesus Therefore, you're following a false gospel. I know none of you are doing that. But Jude 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Verse 4 says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. That's called greasy grace. Saying, oh man, just say you're sorry and God will forgive you. It's not no big deal. God will forgive you. But sin is always a big deal. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We got people today that say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm in control of my own life. And I, you know, I, I call on Jesus if I get in trouble or something, but I call the shots around here, you know, and, I, and I'll pray if, you know, I need his help. And so they have this form, this gospel where they think Jesus is an add-on to their life because we've presented it like that. No. <laughs> when you said 
Jesus be my Lord, Lord was a term they understood back in those days to mean Lord, boss, you were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. You were paid for. You belong to him. Some of you say, well, I would, I would never, you know, think along those lines. But we, as human beings, if we don't refresh ourselves and get rooted, stay rooted, stay still standing firm, remind ourselves of these things, our human flesh on its own will begin to move away from a relationship with Jesus. Don't pray for a while. Don't, make, don't put it in your schedule to read your Bible. Don't make it a priority to come to church for a little while see what happens. Six months later, you'll be wanting to get an appointment in my office for me to help your marriage get back on track. You'll be wanting me to help find you a job. You'll be wanting me to come down there and bail you out of jail. Won't you? I guarantee it. Not everybody. Some of you, some of you can fake it pretty good, but <laughs> if you don't seek him daily... You will fall away eventually. You will be on a slow fade. The, the, what do you call it when something is the autopilot? Is, it's, it's the natural inclination of the human heart is to fade away from God, not to go to Him. You have to do something special. You have to, you have to determine that you're going to walk towards God. The flesh can be sneaky, very sneaky. I mean, just like, like worship. That's why we, I played that song, because, you know, the original reason they wrote that song was because they felt like people were just worshiping the worship. You know, if the, if the sound was right, and the lighting was good, and the singers, you know, and the guitar players did it just right, that's nothing more than what the world gets into. They were worshiping the worship, and somebody said, hold on now, this ain't what it's about. Somebody had to make a firm decision and say, let's get back to the heart of worship. So they put all the electric guitars up for a while, and they just played it. I think they sang Acapulco for a little while. <laughs> In a big church, this was a big church where it happened. What was it Matt Redmond or somebody that this happened to? And so for about a month's period, they, they sang Acapulco. And then they found, found, once the people got their focus back on Jesus, why are we worshiping? Can you only worship to a song that you like? If you come in here Sunday and we play one of those songs, oh, that's that song again. I hate it when they play that song. You just sit there with your arms crossed till that one's over. But then the next one, you really love it. And then, ah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, and then you get in super Christian mode. <laughs> are you worshiping Jesus? Are you worshiping the worship? See, it's sneaky. <laughs> so a lot of people, a lot of people preach the gospel. Uh, it's still a works mindset. On the other side of the coin, still all about, oh, I believe Jesus is Lord, but I still believe you got to act right. Because by the end of the day, if you get, you know, you ain't acting right, you ain't going to heaven. And they... They don't even develop their relationship with Jesus. They just think that they, they can be good enough to please God apart from Jesus. Jesus is like, he's a good guy. But do you know what? In your family, as parents, if you were to give your kids a set of rules, but you had no relationship with them, 
what that's going to do is foster rebellion. Rules without relationship fosters rebellion. So if you, you say, well, I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments, but you don't know Jesus, you're eventually just going to grow tired in your own willpower and rebel. You can't do it without Jesus. You can't follow God without Jesus. That leads to flaky, religious, fleshly, self-righteous, false followers. Let me say it again. Flaky, religious, fleshly, self-righteous, false followers. We don't need any more flakes and nuts in this bowl of cereal. We're, we're good. <laughs> Look, we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not of works. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, but, but your faith should produce good works. You know, the good works come because of the relationship, because you want to please Him. Get, every, get your Christianity in order now. That's what we're trying to do. J.I. Packer says there's nothing more irreligious than self-absorbed religion. The gospel of me. That's where a lot of people are. The gospel is always about me. What's in it for me? There's nothing more irreligious than self-absorbed religion. So what, I had a question. What excites you most about the prospects of heaven when you think about going to heaven? Is it those streets of gold? Those big gates that's made out of a single pearl. Yeah, oh man, I'm gonna, when I get to heaven, I won't be dragging all this old body. I'm going to have a new body. I'm going to have rewards. and No more sorrow. I'm going to get to see my long lost family members and old friends that went on before. Man, that's exciting stuff. That's good stuff. I'm excited about all that. But if somewhere in that, there's not a longing to lay your eyes on Jesus to lay your head on his breast like John, to, to fall at his feet and just hug his ankles, you know, and cry all over him and wipe him with your hair, whatever, you, whatever it is you want to do just to be with him, then you might need to examine your walk with Jesus because that's really the best part of waking up, not Folgers in your cup is to be with Jesus. Amen. Now, we can't see him, but we love him. Yeah. And we, we believe in him so strongly that we worship him every day. If there's a real relationship with him that should be going on right now. Amen. And I'm not going to sit up here and act like a flaky Christian and tell you God tells me and talks to me all the time, but he does in my spirit. Yeah. And he will communicate with you if you learn to hear his voice. He says, my sheep will know my voice. And he will speak to you. And he will be loving and kind. And if you do look for Jesus, you will find him. If you search for him with your whole heart, he says, you will find me. And you can see him working in your circumstances. And you can love him. You can walk with him just as plain as, as if I got Angie and I jerked her up right here. And me and her are walking in this out. I mean, Jesus can be just a walking right here with me. But I'm going to let him lead the way. I just wanted to hold her hand for a minute. So let's talk about the true gospel. 
What is the true gospel? 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 1. If I were to ask you what, what verse you think would best sum up the gospel, probably most people would say John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that is a good one. But this is what Paul says is the gospel that he preaches. Verse 1, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. Now, this is in the New Living Translation. In the King James, it says, let me remind you, dear brothers, of the gospel I preached to you before. The good news and gospel are translated the same. Isn't that awesome? You want to know what the gospel is? It's good news. It's real good news. He said you welcomed it then. And you still stand firm in it. There we go, talking about standing, ain't we? Overlapping into Sunday. You still stand firm in it. It is this good news or gospel that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. There are people, not in here, but in churches all over America believing they're going to heaven because they said a prayer. And they have no more relationship with Jesus than they do with Ronald McDonald. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important And what also had been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins. Here's the gospel. Now, you want to know what the gospel is? It's right here in this sentence. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures say it. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. Where did he get this information? The scriptures. So, the gospel is Jesus' death, his burial, And his resurrection, that is the good news. That he is who he says he is. That he's the only person in history who ever said that I'm going to go in the tomb, but in three days of my own power, I'm going to get up. And did it. Now, I'm going to to take it to a different level, maybe a plane that you hadn't, uh, uh, a thread maybe you hadn't seen in the Bible, maybe you have. But I'm going to say that Jesus was the seed that God sent into the earth. He was the seed that died, was planted in the ground, and sprung up into eternal life. Now you say, were you just making that up? No, I'm going to show it to you. Jesus is the seed of the gospel. You ever heard of the process of germination? Unless a seed dies... It doesn't produce anything else. It just lays there by itself. A seed must die for it to begin to produce. A a kernel of corn must go into the ground. It must die. Then it produces fruit. John, uh, John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus tells us about this process. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted into the soil and dies, it remains alone. 
But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. Jesus is the seed that God planted for eternal life so that many could experience life. He died, he was planted in the ground, and he came up, sprung up, Eternal life for as many as who will believe in him. And now he's saying, don't hold on to your life. Don't be the seed that just sits there by itself, happy, just all about me. Be willing to die to the things of this world and take up his cross and follow him and produce life. Die to yourself and produce life. And experience eternal life that his death, burial, and resurrection provided for. Is that too deep? Jesus must be the wheel in the center of our wheel. I know we have our list of priorities. It's good to prioritize certain things. But Jesus is always in, must be in the center. You got your family, you got your job, you got your church, you got Jesus, you got this, you got all these things, and you got them in a list of priorities. And you're saying, if I keep them in that list of priorities, then I'll be good because I got my priorities straight. But Jesus must be in the center of all of those. He must always be first. I'm telling you something. Because there's going to come a time when your job is really working you over time and you're going through this season at your job, you either got to be there or you're going to lose your job. And God's going to tell you, Jesus is going to tell you whether that's a good idea or whether it's not. And if you'll follow him, he will keep you in balance. There's going to be a time, another time when your family's going haywire. And you're going to have to say, I need to take some time off from work. But you need to let Jesus make those decisions. If you're saying always this order, then you have no balance. You're, you're going to be one of those tires going down the road. Flop it, flop it, flop it, flop it. Spinning out of control. Apart from him, you can do nothing right. You want to know what God says? Jeremiah 9.23 in the King James. Thus saith the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. You got a little smarts? Congratulations. <laughs> Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. You got some muscles? Hallelujah. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. You want to share some with me? See me after the service. <laughs> but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth, and he knoweth me. Knoweth. Knoweth. Understand and knoweth me. That's what we glory in. That we know Jesus. That we really, not just to understand a few things about him, I can tell you what the gospel said he did. But no, I mean, it's a knowing like you know your wife in an intimate way, the Bible describes it. A marriage, we're the bride of Christ. We're supposed to be intimate with Jesus, to know him. Power, 
of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, to go through life with Jesus in an intimate way. That I am the Lord which exercises love and kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, saith the Lord. I de he delights in you knowing him and understanding him. You were created to walk with him. Say, help me know you, Lord. To knoweth you. <laughs> help me knoweth you, Lord. <laughs> help me translate this King James, Lord. All right. Go to Colossians 1.15. We're going to take a, a short journey in Colossians. And I'm going to get you out of here by 9.30, guaranteed. I thought I did pretty good for my intro. <laughs> Colossians 1, we ain't got too much farther. I'm going to read a little scripture, though. I, I believe the book of Colossians paints a picture of who Jesus is probably better than any other book in the Bible. I mean, you may, you may disagree. You may say John shows personal side of Jesus. And, and some of the other books, the Gospels, obviously, he talks and you hear him coming from his mouth. But as far as uh, the letters to the churches and stuff, I think Colossians really paints a picture. Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It says, no man has seen God at any time. No man has seen the Father. He's a spirit or whatever. But we have seen Jesus. And when you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Have I been with you so long, Philip, that you don't recognize me, he said? When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know what God acts like? You want to know the demeanor of God? Watch Jesus. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Man, this is starting out pretty heavy. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's far above anything that's ever been or ever will be. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Somebody say, well, I thought he was born in a manger. I didn't. He ain't even been around but 2,000 years. No, no. That was when his, he was incarnate in a human form for us. But he had always been in heaven. He's been God forever. He created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that our, our telescopes can't even see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. That includes you. So why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. I have no meaning in my life. You were created for Jesus. If we just understood that simple fact, what, there would be just a flood of self-esteem rising us that we didn't have before. Confidence, peace, joy. You were created by Him for Him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. I think that's worth noting for all the people who say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. 
That's a weird thing to say about his bride. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from, from the dead. So he is first in everything. Let me ask you a question. Well, that's easy. Oh, he's first in everything. Is he first in everything in your life? Remember what we talked about? Is he the will and the center of your will? Is he, does he always have preeminence in your decisions? Is he first in your life? But I love my kids more than anything in the world. I love my wife the most. I, I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't, I can't see him. I don't love him much, as much as I love my wife. And, and if it came down between Jesus and my family, I would choose my family. And, then, and, and I understand your rationale. But I'm here to tell you, you were created by him and for him. And if you loved him the most, you would have more love to give to your family. You can't even begin to love your family like he loves your family. You can't even begin to love them like you're supposed to love them until you love him. We love him because he first loved us. We got to get it going. We got to get the exchange going. We didn't have any love. Before I got saved, I didn't know how to love Angie. I was in love with Angie. But I'm telling you, he is supreme. He's the first. You were created by him and for him. You got to love him the most. You got to determine, I'm going to do what he says. You, if you love your family, that would be the best thing you can do. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And, though, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Because of Jesus, he made us all possible for us to be made right with him. He made peace with everything in heaven and earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you that once were far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You little angels out there. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body, and as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But if you're going to operate in this, but if you're going to receive the fullness of God's intention for your life, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Say, rooted. Do you believe it? Will you stand in it? Keep going on down to verse 28. Still in Colossians 1. So we tell others about Christ. Warning everyone. Teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Jesus. See the relationship? That's what he's after. We, as ministers of the gospel, as fellow ministers of reconciliation, which is, that's, that's you, once you became saved, you're supposed to help others develop a relationship with God. That's what he wants. Amen. Colossians 2, turn over to the next chapter, verse 6. And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue, there it is again, continue to follow him. You accepted him, now follow him. Let your roots grow down deep in him. Rooted. Say rooted. rooted. Am I getting on y'all's nerves yet? Are y'all mad because all these scriptures are lining up with my point? 
Y'all jealous that you couldn't think of all this? <laughs> let your roots grow down into him. And let your lives be built on that foundation, on him. He's the rock on which we stand. Your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will, over, uh, you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking, from the spiritual powers of the world, rather than Christ. Learned to recognize the voice that you're supposed to be listening to. Test everything in the scriptures. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so that you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Are you in union with Christ? In, verse, in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, since you have been raised to new life of Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. It's good to think about heaven. It's good to think about the realities. But the main part is where Christ sits, in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus prayed, Father, that they may be in me as I am in you. That they may know that you love them as much as you love me. John 17. He's not withholding any. You're not lesser to God than Jesus. He's supreme. He's the first. But you're also adopted into the family and loved like a, a son or a daughter. Not some far off, you know, where was I at? Verse 4, for when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in all his glory. Who's your life? See, we, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around these things, but he is the way, the truth, and the life is a, is a bigger word than we understand. We just think about this physical life when we think about life. But our spirit is either dead or it's alive, and it will be forever. And life is only found in a relationship with Jesus. That is life. When you go to hell, that's because you refused to receive life, and now you're dead to God. You chose to be. You are forever separated from life. Death is the absence of life. Like darkness is the absence of light. Colossians 3.11, if you go on down, says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. He is all. He is all you will ever need. He is all that there is. He is the great I am. What do you need? He says, I am. He is all and in all who will let him be, who will welcome him, who will walk in him, walk with him, talk to him. He is everything. He is your all and in all. Colossians 3.15, if you move on down. Now, let's just skip that. A gospel 
without a focus on Jesus, it's not a gospel. That's good. Thank you for helping me there. I wrote down a few things what a gospel without Jesus is like. It's like getting shortchanged in life, man. It's, it's like eating an Oreo cookie without the cream filling. It's bad. It's like a song without a melody. It's like going on a honeymoon by yourself. <laughs> I mean, it promises, you know, but it don't deliver. A gospel without a focus on Jesus is like, I picture it like a big empty house. It may be beautiful, but nobody's living in it. It's like a bird without wings. It's like a story with no moral. It's like a joke with no punchline. It's like eating a whole box of Cracker Jacks and there being no prize in it. It's like having lungs, but you can't get any air. It's like a world without love. What does this world need? It needs the gospel. Jesus is the difference between true life and a mere existence. A paltry, meager existence at best. Oh, I weep over the 32 years I lived without Christ. Oh, I'm so excited when I see these young men finding Jesus so young. A gospel without a focus on Jesus is like a, a Christmas without the Christ. It's like Christianity without Christ. It's like... It's, it's a religion. It's like a what? An almond without joy. That might be the best one of them all. It's a religion as meaningless as pixie dust. You might as well meditate until you get to a state of nothingness like the Buddhists want to do. You might as well eat, drink, be merry, and give up on religion altogether. If your gospel has no Jesus in it, you might as well live it up while you can. It's like planting a field without any seed. You dig up the rows, you make the holes, then you just fill them back in, and then you go home and expect a harvest. But it ain't coming. A gospel without Jesus is as useless as a screen door on a submarine. <laughs> it won't hold water. It's like leaning on a rubber crutch. You got no leg to stand on. <laughs> Somebody's snorting out there, ain't you? <sighs> you can't be rooted without Christ. That's what we're getting to. Second Peter 3.17 says, You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard that you be not carried away by the error of this wicked, these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rooted. Rather, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Amen.
Did I mention why I was so heart sick on that boat that night? There was this redhead that I was in love with at the time. It was many, many, many years ago. And I mean, you know how it is when, when you got it bad. I'm, I, I hate to admit I had it bad, that, that, that bad, that I couldn't even enjoy a trip with my brother and my dad and out on the ocean. You know, it should have been the best night of my life, but I was just, I felt seasick even though I wasn't seasick. And I went to get in the bunk that night and I opened my suitcase and there was something laying in my suitcase. And it's been with me for 25 years. If I can get it open without ripping it. That's how I knew it was 1992 because it says February 10th or something, 1992. It says, Hey, sweetie, just writing you a little note to tell you again and again and again, I love you and I'm thinking of you. I miss you always when I'm away from you. I can't wait for this weekend just to go away and be with you. My favorite thing to do. You mean the world to me, and you will never know how much I love you and care for you. Angie. Just so verify I didn't make this up for this sermon. Does that look 25 years old to you? Does it look like it's been through the washer a few times? <laughs> you know, if you had everything in the world, but you couldn't share it with the one you love, it would be meaningless. And that's the way Jesus feels about life without you. He wasn't willing for you to die in your sins and be separated from him for all eternity. He was so strong. He was so... He didn't want to go another day without you. He didn't want to wait another moment. And there's other people out there. He doesn't want to wait another moment to be without them. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to go through the day tomorrow without you talking to him. He loves you that much. He is all in for you. He loves you the way that I felt in that in love state with Angie and the way I still feel about her now that it's been cemented for more than 25 years since that. God, Jesus, is determined to be with you throughout all eternity. He don't want to live in eternity without you. That's the way he feels about you. He didn't die for you to just to be some obedient robot. Some person he kind of knows, and you try to please him. It's not what interests Jesus. He laid down his life, it says, for his friends. For greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. He wants you to be his friend. He adopted you into his own family. He's paid the ultimate price to walk with you, to talk with you, to know you. 
And for us to make the gospel about any set of rules and regulations and, and all the things and greasy grace and I can do what I want to on the blood of Jesus, it, it's just it's a misrepresentation. And it's, it must be staggering to Jesus that we don't see his love on that cross the way it was shed for you. John Wesley used to close with a prayer. He said, I'm no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom you thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or lay me aside. Exalt for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious God, blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am Thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on the earth, let it be ratified in the heavens. That's a man that understands Jesus' love. Is, it, it's no real, it, it doesn't take much to surrender to that, to love like that. It takes a fool not to surrender to a love like that. Apostle Paul will close in Philippians 3, 7. says, of all the things that he had, the, the, the degrees and the wealth and the respect of all the people as being a Pharisee, he said, I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He finally saw the cross. He finally understood it. He finally got it. It finally hit a chord in his heart. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You want to know what the heart of worship is? His name is Jesus. He is the seed of the gospel. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the one that loves you more than you love your own self. He will never leave you or forsake you, and he's praying that you will never leave or forsake him, but that you'll get this message, and you will radically change the way you understand the gospel. You'll radically change the way you view your Christianity. The way you behave It'll be not because you're trying to get brownie points for following this rule and this rule. It'll be because you don't want to hurt him. And what hurts him is when you hurt yourself. So you'll begin to take care of yourself. You'll begin to do right because obedience brings blessing and the wages of sin is death and it's an easy choice. And you'll find true life. Every moment you dig into Jesus you'll find more life. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.